that pulled pork, whoever, whoever made that, sounds good. If you have an empty seat, you have my number. <laughs> We're going to be in First uh, Timothy chapter 4, looking at verses 6 through 10. And today, you know, we're, we're studying the pastoral epistles and a lot of people, you hear the pastoral epistles and you think, oh, it's only for pastors, right? First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. But what I've come to found out, yeah, this is particularly like for Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus. Paul's writing specifically to him, but he's also writing with the church in mind and so since he's writing for the church, with the church in mind, it's also for us as well, for me and for you. And the one thing that I, I really want you to get this morning, and that is this, the pursuit and focus of godliness must be the very heart, prize, and hope of every saint Despite the constant surrounding noise that might contradict it. And here's what I mean. Like we live in a time today, beautiful, right? It's a beautiful time today that can be characterized by notifications. It's good that I can text a family member all the way across the world. Or I can get on the phone and FaceTime them or Zoom them and hear a loved one who lives all the way across the world. <clears throat> or I could send a text message and it'll be delivered in a second. I can call someone and hear their voice. I can post pictures. I can post a video, give people updates on my life. Like this is my generation. This is what I grew up in, especially living in Santa Clarita. But it's beautiful, but there's also the ugly. Because with that comes the reality that the realm of ideas, other philosophies, other theologies, they're given a global platform. And this is good for Christians, this is good for the church, because communication is made simple, it's efficient. We can clearly communicate the gospel to people across the world through these means. I could send a text and encourage a brother and sister who's struggling, I could give them a call. I can keep up with missionaries around the world and pray for them and let them know that we're, we're thinking of them. But what also isn't good is that these other ideologies, these other theologies or philosophies, they're given the same platform, right? And that sometimes it seems like they're actually given the main stage, not Christianity. There are other things that are given the main stage. And so for the people of God, all of these notifications of ideas can become distractions, right? It can become distractions and we can hyper-focus on these false teachings rather than Scripture's teachings. Or we can be led into despair with tremendous heartache. Because this is what's happening in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Right, and I, it was like a week ago. And, you know, I have Apple Watch and my phone, and all you get is, like, the vibration on your wrist whenever you get a notification, and you, you subscribe to news, and you just get news, like, bing, bing, vibration, vibration, all day. And then I kept looking one day, and I was like, oh, this, 
reality star dead at 35. This person over here died at 40. It's just constant. Constant heartache. Constant sadness. That are literally being communicated in an instant. All day. Almost 24-7. Especially if you leave your phone next to you. All these notifications of false teachings, all these notifications of sad things that are going on in this world, all these false ideologies that have promoted a false hope in this world fills us with despair. And what it calls us to is to need of, a sure need of hope, of purpose, right? And so the context of 1 Timothy is this church is distracted. This church is weary. Timothy is a pastor in need of advice. And, Paul, and, he, and Paul's encouragement to him is this. Like, look, Timothy, despite everything that's going on around you, all these false teachers that are coming up from people in your congregation, despite the noise that they're making, despite the heartache that they're bringing to the people of God, your heart, your prize, and your hope is in your pursuit of Jesus. It's in your pursuit of Christ and having discipline towards godliness. And this message is for Timothy and to the church in Ephesus, but it's for me as well. And you. And so look, if you want to, before we read into verses, uh, verses 1 through 4, I just want to read 6 through 10 first and then go back to 1 through 4. Read with me in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And I just want to pause there. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe Church, what I want you to understand today, and I'm going to say it again, the pursuit and focus of godliness must be the very heart, prize, and hope of every saint, despite the surrounding noise that contradicts it. And this is where I'm getting this from. In verses 1 through 5, if you want to read with me. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So, apparently there's false teachers that, were, that are in the church of Ephesus and we don't, honestly, we can't say for sure what these... Um, false teachers, what tribe they belong to. We can't fully say what they were subscribing themselves to. But what we can say is that there was a blend of false philosophies and teachings. It was a blend of aestheticism 
and of Gnosticism. That the physical is bad and we should only be looking towards the spiritual. Right? And so because, and it's interesting that he says, their consciences are seared. Right? And I was reading it, I was like, what, what does that even, what does that mean? And I think of it like a, if you still iron today, like take an iron to your skin, right? That, that sears your, your body. And so what these false teachers were, were doing is that they were so searing and degrading their consciences, it's that they took what God has declared good and made it wrong. They labeled it as bad and required that the people of God abstain from something like as beautiful as marriage and as food. He said, don't, don't, don't have anything to do with those things. Those are worldly things, right? And so, as they started promoting this teaching, they further seared their consciences. And the sad part about this is, is that they probably had, in the beginning, because they were, they were people part of the church, they probably had, in, a, in the beginning, a, a good motive. They were looking at the church of Ephesus, and they probably saw the congregation not practicing marriage wisely or not upholding marriage, the sanctity of marriage. Or they were probably, maybe, eating foods that were sacrificed to idols when they weren't supposed to, right? When they were doing it in a way that maybe it was a stumbling block to the brother and sister in Christ. So they were practicing... They were seeing these things being practiced wrongfully. And so what they decided to start teaching is, rather than training them in godliness and having biblical discernment, let's just get rid of it. Let's just tell them, don't, don't, do, don't get married. Don't eat. Stick to these particular food groups. And so they're trying to provoke godliness, so they thought. They're trying to provoke godliness in the church, but what they did was they confused godliness with legalism. And so they took Christ out of the picture. And when they stopped fixing their eyes on Jesus and his word and his community, you they did, they substituted him for a faith of works. Don't do this. Stay away from this. And so they bended the truth, and the more you bend the truth, the progress of searing your conscience is fastened. These teachers forgot the gospel. They forgot the gospel. And so Timothy, I can imagine Timothy writing this letter to Paul. Paul, we got a problem here. Our church is seeing these leaders now becoming false teachers in our church. We see them, they're maybe our friends, they're family in Christ, and they were, so they thought. And so now they're dealing with these false teachings and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it. And it's probably distracting. Timothy's like, I want to preach the gospel, but I have these guys preaching something other than the gospel. Paul, how do I deal with this? Look at verses 4 and 5. This was Paul's teaching. He says, remember your theology. 
Remember who is at the center of it. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God is the arbiter of truth and goodness, and we know what is of godliness through his word and through prayer. And so here's the encouragement to Timothy. Look, verse 4, 6 again. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. These things are the word and prayer. Timothy, be about these things. Be about God's word. Be about prayer. Put those before the congregation as the highest priority. Focus on godliness. That's what you should focus on. And so you hear that and you probably think like, okay, well this, is he talking about like a checklist type of deal? No, I don't think that's what Paul is saying here at all. But what he is saying is pursuing godliness through pursuing spiritual discipline is all because this godliness finds its heart in wanting to be a good servant of Christ. This godliness finds its heart in a desire to please Jesus. If Christ remains central to our pursuit of godliness, we will prioritize the word of God and prayer because Jesus has already declared us as new creatures in him. Right, you know the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone's in Christ, you're a new creation. So just like how God declares marriage and food good by his word, so you all, me, who put our faith in Jesus... We're new creatures in him. We will be good servants of Christ. Amen? That's good news. So as marriage and food, you're going to receive those with thanksgiving. Why? Because God says it's good for you. You're going to be good. You and me will be good servants of Jesus. Why? Because he has said you're new. He's declared us as good servants it's a future, it's a future truth. It's something that's already present in us, but it's going to continue on. When it says, you will be good servants of Christ. It's this ongoing process of sure sanctification through our pursuit of Jesus, through engaging his word and in prayer and whatever spiritual discipline else, fasting, communing with the saints, singing. This truth leads to the building of godliness and right knowledge of God and righteous living. Because apart from Christ and his truth, you have nothing. You have nothing. And so the false teachers, they took Christ out of the picture. Think about it. If Paul is telling Timothy, put before the brothers these things, word of God and prayer, what weren't the, what weren't the false teachers doing? putting the word of God in prayer before the brethren. And look at where they ended up with that, as legalists. They're not following the things of God, but they're pursuing the, their own words of their own definition of faith and doctrine. They're promoting false hopes. And this trajectory says, I don't need God. I don't need the gospel. 
and you live in an unbiblical manner, contrary to what Paul himself already laid out for them, or Timothy, or other faithful members in that church. And so, two things. When you supplant Christ and his word with false doctrine, the dangers are that it inhibits us from Christ-like maturity. Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. Says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speak the truth and love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You focus on, you focus on false doctrine. You focus on false teachings, other philosophies, other ideologies that will inhibit you from Christ-like maturity. Or second thing, false doctrine inhibits us from living out godliness. He says, teach and urge these things in chapter 6, verses 2 through 6. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You see, friends, what these false teachers were doing is that as they neglected the word and prayer and, and putting that before the brothers, they forgot the gospel, they forgot Jesus, they forgot to actually live what he says in verse 6, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And so when you neglect those things, you're not going to be trained in the words of the faith and you're not going to live righteous, holy lives. False doctrine inhibits faithful knowledge and living because it can lead into despair and cause distraction. This is what the church was dealing with. So Paul tells Timothy this, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And you think, what is a silly myth? And so this phrase, is, it's a philosophical phrase. And it gives this imagery of... Uh, Sorry, ladies. Old women tales. Right? Wives' tales. And so it gives this imagery, this picture of, you know, whatever ladies are doing in first century church, they're hanging out and they're just telling fanciful stories. Right? They're just telling stories. And these stories have no basis in the truth. And so what Paul is telling Timothy have nothing to do with them is saying this. You see these False teachers, they're actually just telling you fanciful stories that have no basis in the truth. Now, the interesting thing is, I think a lot of you and me are obviously saying, duh, Christian. Of course I'm not going to have, of course I'm not going to neglect the gospel. Of course I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to neglect the word of God. I'm not going to neglect prayer. I'm not going to give in to the false ideologies of this world. Right? We hear, but we, we hear a lot of those in our days, right? We hear things like expressive individualism. And that means that the highest good is individual freedom. That what's 
most important about our lives is that we pursue happiness and our self-definition and self-expression. And you hear things like, you be you, be true to yourself, follow your heart, find yourself. Kids, you hear that a lot those, these days. And what you also hear is that there is no truth. You got your truth, I got my truth. And so there's no overarching, overarching authority by which we should align our lives with. We hear those a lot. We hear that a lot in the news, on social media. And so we think, yeah, of course, I'm not going to believe those things. I'm not going to teach those things. But that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, Paul's telling Timothy, don't let such things lead you into despair. Don't also let these things distract you. Distract your training and godliness, your discipline. Let me paint two pictures for you. See if you identify with one of them. Are you here about what famous pastors and Christian leaders, the sins that they've committed in the shadows? You read about it on Christianity Today. You hear about famous Christians or pastors and the people that they hurt or Christians leaving their faith to deconstruct their faith and they want to take as many Christians who identify with them with them as well. And you know, I just get sad. It's just heartbreaking. And then you go and talk to your Christian friends because you want to like find comfort in like one another and encourage one another. And then you just end up more sad. And then you kind of just, all right, you're done talking about it and you leave it there. Oh, that stinks. We'll pray, we'll pray for them, right? And so often we just leave it there in our sadness and our despair. And but church, there is such a thing as biblical lament. But biblical lament drives us, must always drive us to find hope in a sovereign God in a world filled with despair. It leads you to him. Here's another picture. You hear about such ideologies like expressive individualism, about pluralism and how it's permeating all our minds of the young people and even in ourselves, right? How it's so antagonistic towards a biblical worldview and all you do is read article after article after article about why this stuff is wrong. You read on the news, you're engaged in conservative politics. That's all you read. And even then, why you read them? Because you're dealing with, they're dealing with the things that you don't believe. You hyper-focus on it. You get angry and frustrated about where you think this world is going. And you speculate about it with your friends. And you talk about how foolish it is to believe in something like pluralism. And then after your conversations and your thoughts, you just keep reading more about it. And you never put the news article down. Right, we read it over and over. I get these notifications. And yet we never stop to think, hey, maybe we should just put it down and open our Bibles. Maybe we should pray for our culture. And what I'm saying, I don't think Paul is saying this either. He's not, he's not saying 
forget all these things, don't know what's out there. He's not saying that. But when he's saying have nothing to do with it, means don't believe in it, but also don't let your life be so consumed by it. Don't don't mix those. Don't mix those up. Don't focus on this, Timothy. Know what, what they're teaching. Be able to refute and love, but your priority is to discipline yourself, put before the brothers and sisters in your congregation, put before them the word of God and prayer. Discipline yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Don't lose sight, church, of God's means for you to discipline yourself in the spiritual disciplines. Don't assume that being disciplined in planning or strategizing your Bible plan, your prayer life, your reading, don't think that's disingenuous. Rather, it shows that you have a heart set on Christ and you truly desire him above all else. It's okay to put, put the news away. I get it. I'm hearing this too. We hear godliness, and I don't know what you guys think, but I hope you think this. Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Godliness is God's work in a believer's life to conform them to Christ. Paul would also say that Christ is the mystery of godliness in chapter 3. Christ is the image of godliness And so think about this with me. If we have our hearts set on learning to play something like the guitar, which I'm not gifted in at all, then we will discipline ourselves and we'll pull out the guitar and we'll learn and we'll read music and we'll practice. Like so, if our hearts are set on looking at Jesus and living like Jesus to be good servants of Jesus, we will discipline ourselves in saturating our lives with God's word, unity in the body, prayers and supplications, singing songs with joy, to love one another, to do what Paul tells Timothy, to be an example of speech and conduct and love. We would be about that. Because all such things promote godliness. This is our goal. Don't be distracted. Don't be left in despair by all the notifications in this world. But the invitation, God's invitation to us is saying, set your heart on Christ. Make him your pursuit. Do that by yourself. Do that in community. There's nothing more valuable than this. There's nothing more valuable than this. And you know the hardest thing about the Christian life is that that For the most part, we wait in anticipation for something that's coming in the future. We're waiting for a future kingdom, for a future reality. And it's why enduring such despair or distraction is hard in this life. And so we value and stick with things when we see results. You're more likely to stick to something when you see that it's working. You're learning a language that's the most discouraging thing you'll do until you can actually read and understand the language and you practice. Yet we often forget that training for godliness is of more value because it has both present results and a future end. It Im- impacts us now. Look at verse 8. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so Paul's saying, look, bodily training is of some value, right? This, this, uh, they identified with this, the Ephesian church, the Greek culture. They're all about physicality. They wanted to be strong. Why? Because everything that they did had to do with physical activity. And the word we get, this word, basically we get like gym. And so bodily training is of some value, Paul says, some. How often do we actually hold that as our, our priority? Right, we want to we want to pursue the new pay raise at our job. We want to work super hard. We want to be disciplined in our craft. That's bodily training. That's present training. Much of what the Greeks had to do in their culture was physical, and so that principle is still the same today. A lot of what we do, construction worker, desk worker, mind worker, whatever you want to call, it, knowledge worker. We got to be disciplined in those things. And so how often do we tend to retreat? Like me, this is what I could do. Go to the gym instead of pulling out my Bible. Being with people. Let me go put my headphones on and go to the gym instead. I love the gym. I know I don't look like it right now, but I do. I just had a kid. Right? How often do we retreat to our work? You like working. We do. We want to do good. We want to glorify God in this. What about our hobbies? We train so hard. I could watch YouTube for hours and learn something that I don't even like put into practice. to woodwork or to draw whatever you do and we spend hours doing that but then we're content with our 10 minutes in God's word we can read articles and news all day or about politics and then we barely spend any time with God bodily training is of some value it's good to go to the gym even when you have a kid it's good to do that it's good to be good in your work It's good to have hobbies. But friends, don't 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 substitute those things for pursuing godliness in Christ. Don't switch those up. I'm guilty of it too. It's more value, way more value in the present and in the future. Here's why it's of more value in both. Pursuing godliness gives us the assurance that Christ is dwelling richly in us by his spirit and is testifying our, of our sonship. You can read Galatians 4, 6 through 7. Also, pursuing godliness provides contentment because it comes from an assurance that we can't gain favor with God by our own merits. It's all God, 1 Timothy 6. But that the promises of God is that his blessing will be up- upon us in our faithfulness, Psalm 37, 3 through 7. Or think back, think, or think forward. Think forward to Revelation 5 when what are all the saints doing together? They're singing in worship of God. Think of Revelation 20 and 21. That no tear is going to, no tear will be shed. 
that everything will be made new. 1 Corinthians 15, that we're going to gain a resurrected body that's better than the bodies that we have now. This is, that's the future reality, but it also impacts the present. Pursuing God is of eternal value. It's an eternal reality. And I can't help but think that when Paul is telling Timothy this, he's saying pursue godliness. Pursue it above all else. That it's going to be met with backlash. That these false teachers are going to go after him. Members of his church are going to go after him. Why? Because he's not, he's not having anything to do with it. But he's focusing on God's word. But then you think of Jesus' words in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Joy in a future prize. Joy now, future prize. Godliness is a value in every way. And we're here, we're waiting for God's, for God's perfect kingdom to come. And so for those who pursue the heart of Christ and value godliness above all else, despite the distractions and the despairs that this world will bring to us, don't spend all your time retreating to things that only have present rewards. Why? Because godliness is now and in the future. Retreat to the things of God. He's your prize now. He's mine too. And he's laid it before you for all eternity. I like this quote from Puritan Patrick Fairburn. He says, For only as men become established in the love and practice of goodness, do they become qualified for the possession and enjoyment of life. I like this because it highlights the pursuit of godliness that enables you to truly live a good life. A life well lived. To enjoy this life. It brings purpose to everything that we do on this earth. It gives purpose for our hard work. It gives purpose for our persecutions and our sufferings. To our endurance and perseverance. And such a, such a purpose brings hope. Right? Heart, prize, hope. Look at verse 9. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the savior of all people. Especially of those who believe. Church, we would do well to think about why this is deserving of our full acceptance. Think about that. Because our purpose of pursuing godliness rests on the hope of a living God and a risen Savior. Before I was saved, I, I used to work in plumbing with my dad. And he owned a plumbing business. And I thought before I was saved that I was going to go take over this family business. Um, and so I started working in the office. And then, and then I was like, ah, I, I got to actually know some plumbing, right? To be able to take over the plumbing business. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go do plumbing. And this wasn't like 
nice new construction plumbing I did, okay? He made me, he made me work. He made me clean up all the wet wipes that we flushed down the toilets, right? When you know you aren't supposed to. <laughs> That's what I did. Dirty work, hard work. But, and oh, I, I did not like it whatsoever. I don't remember a thing that I learned. But what kept me going for two years doing that, before I got called to do pastoral ministry and I was saved, before that, what kept me going was that one day I'm going to take this over. One day I'm going to just lead the business. I'm going to do well. I want to take over the family legacy. So I'm going to push through cleaning and snaking toilets. All right? Praise God. God bless your soul. Paul is, Paul is explaining to Timothy, as a pastor of Ephesus, why he works so hard. Why he shouldn't be left in despair over the false teachings or to be distracted with silly myths. Why? Because gospel ministry is not ultimately dependent upon him. It's not ultimately dependent upon you or I. But our hope rests on a living God. His work through the power of the gospel. This is true for us. The purpose of our toil and our strife for godliness is because God is active in you. God dwells in you. He resurrected from the grave and he sent his spirit to testify of this truth, to soften hearts, to build his church towards his perfect coming kingdom. This is our hope. This is what we labor for. This is what we strive for. It's not of our own. But our hope rests on him. Don't try and separate the gospel from godliness. This is the gospel. What Jesus did in the past and it's going to bring it into fruition in the future. Don't forget that. Remind yourselves the gospel. That Jesus took sin on our behalf so that way you might be adopted. Don't forget the fact that we offended God and yet out of his loving kindness and his mercy still died for us and is continually sanctifying us by his spirit. You won't pursue godliness, church, if you aren't in love with the gospel. You have to be so enamored by the gospel and then you will pursue godliness. But praise God, it's not on you and me. It's on the spirit who works within me. This is our hope. So I'll leave you with this as I close. Paul was calling Timothy to Christ-centered godliness and the work of gospel ministry. You're a pastor, Timothy. Pursue godliness. What is the Spirit inviting you toward today? How are you going to pursue Christ-centered godliness in your ministry? We all have one, if you're a believer here. What are you active in? Are you pursuing the heart and prize of Christ in the hope of godliness as you neighbor to your atheist next door? What about in your small groups here? Are you encouraging one another to put off sin and pursue godliness above all else? Are you praying for your fellow believers, gospel-centered prayers, and praying for the Spirit of God to save your unbelieving family members and friends? Are you content with your personal spiritual discipline in this moment. 
If you are, if you're doing everything, praise God, continue. But if there's more work to be done, let's be disciplined. Because there is more work to be done. Friends, I know there's a lot of wisdom in this room. And many people have walked with Jesus for longer than I have probably been alive. You've toiled and you later, you, you've labored. But because you're sitting in this room today, this is still true for you. Discipline yourself for godliness. Don't get caught up in the distraction or the despairs of this world. Be focused on Jesus, who is your risen Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for Church of the Canyons for inviting me to bring your word. Um, I feel honored. I feel blessed that I can, hopefully I can encourage this church to pursue godliness above all else. You are our hope. You are our prize. And so let us set our hearts upon you.